Crafts Audio. I'm Carson Sistuli. The attentive listener will remember that back in the early months of the season, Fangraph contributors Dave Cameron and Joe Polakowski gave some predictions players they thought might be in line for end-of-season awards. As it is now almost the end of the season, it makes sense to bring back both Dave Cameron and Joe Polakowski to the abnormally round table and have them not only assess those predictions, but also which other players might be deserving of said awards. Additionally, we invite Jack Moore to the pod, not only because he's from the autumnal hamlet of Madison, Wisconsin, but also because he could provide a voice of reason and help referee the potentially violent exchange between Cameron and Joe Paul. In what follows, the panel gives their recommendations for the end of the season awards for MVP, Cy Young, and Rookie of the Year. We also dabble slightly in good cheer and even attempt to have a guffaw. All that and more in this edition of Fangraphs Audio. If I've done my job correctly, I've mentioned in the introduction that today's pod topic concerns uh, end of the season awards, end of the year awards, and uh, to whom they should be given, and perhaps um, in that same conversation, uh, what criteria we ought to choose uh, here about the incredibly round and equally virtual table. We have joining us from um, well, the American South, Dave Cameron. Dave, you're there, right? I am here. Okay, that's our full-time employee. Uh, additionally, we have joining us from um, from Queens, New York, or, or somewhere in the, the giantest American city, Joe Polakowski. Ahoy, hoy. All right, that's very good. And then uh, from, from the little hamlet that could, uh, home of the Badgers, uh, uh, Jackie Moore from Madison, Wisconsin, where I also am. Hello, neighbor. Hey, how you doing, Jackie? You represent West Side, huh? Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, and uh, the uh, listeners will be delighted to know that I'm on the east side. And um, you're going to that game tomorrow, Jackie? Yeah, yeah, I am. Okay, good. Yeah, I am too. I'll probably be sitting in section P because that's where the most sober students uh, are sitting. Uh, sure. All this is entirely relevant <laughs> to. Uh, to the listenership, obviously. Uh, yeah, so like I mentioned, uh, we're going to be talking about end-of-season awards. Um, the, the, some of the here, here will be the basic positions. Uh, I don't know, it was what, like four months, five months ago now. Uh, Dave Cameron, at the beginning of the season, you had thrown out a name, Joe, uh, Josh Hamilton for MVP. I think you had thrown out James Shields for Cy Young. Joe Paul, you had said, uh, I forget for who, for MVP, but... Uh, Miguel Cabrera, don't forget that. Oh, yeah, Miguel Cabrera, you said that. And so so, the, so you guys were present, essentially, at a closer to the beginning of the season. We were talking about uh, possibilities for end-of-the-season awards. Jackie, you weren't there for that conversation, but you will sort of act as the... Uh, you'll use your uh, physically imposing body to uh, referee this to make sure that uh, these other two guys don't get out of hand. And you'll uh, you'll add a sane voice to the conversation. Is that agreeable, Jackie? That's what I do. That's what you <laughs> that's what you do exactly. Okay, well, good. Well, let's get this conversation started then, Dave. Uh, because you're the boss of all of us, why don't we start with you first? And we'll start with um, we'll start with the MVP awards. And uh, why don't you uh, st- you can start AL and uh, NL, however you want to go. Well, I think at this point, uh, you know, Josh Hamilton ran away with the award. Uh, he was just so much better than everybody else the first five months of the season. I think it's been interesting to watch as he's basically sat out the entire month of September since Texas has nothing to play for. They've basically clinched the American League West, and there's no reason for Texas to keep playing him while he's a little bit hurting. Uh, so now some writers are trying to give it to other people. I saw John Morosi of Fox Sports was uh, 
said the other day that it was obvious that Miguel Cabrera should now be the MVP. Apparently, he uh, is a big Joe Polakowski fan, and so he wanted to give it to Cabrera, even though Cabrera's uh, had an inferior year to Hamilton, and his team is not an independent race. It was just a very odd, uh, it was an odd choice, honestly. And I think at this at this point, you still have to give it to Hamilton because he was so much better than everybody else the first five months of the season that it doesn't matter that he sat out September. He's able to take the month off because he gave his team a 10-game lead heading into the final month of the season. Do you think that's the case with John Paul Morrissey? Is that just the case? And, and I'm not faulting him for this necessarily, where a sports writer is kind of hungry for content and is looking to create uh, some sort of conversation that maybe doesn't exist? Uh, I don't know. I've met Morosi. He used to work in Seattle. I ran into him at the All-Star game. I talked to him. He doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who just says stuff to say stuff. I think he's a thoughtful guy most of the time, and uh, his opinions are usually pretty well-researched and backed up. Uh, I know he lives in Detroit, so he sees Miguel Cabrera quite a bit. Uh, I don't want to insinuate bias, but, you know, when there's something to watching a guy every day who's that good and then, you know, making it hard to believe that anyone else could be better. So it could have just been a personal observation effect where he sees Cabrera as clearly the best player on the Tigers and feels that, that you know, that, that overwhelms the fact that uh, Hamilton has been playing in Texas out of his eyesight. Now, I know that uh, Hamilton has had some uh, batted ball luck. Um, has, has Miguel Cabrera had, had uh, batted ball luck to the same degree? Uh, not to the same degree, no. Hamilton's batted ball, on, batted, batting average on balls in play is like 390, something ridiculously high. Um, but at the same time, I think... With hitters, we have to be careful about how much we call that luck. Some of it could just be hitting the ball really, really hard. And, uh, you know, it might not be something that's sustainable next year, but the fact that he lined the uh, ball into the gaps that no fielder could catch has value to his team. And so uh, with with hitters especially, I'm hesitant to use batting average and balls in play as any kind of marker about whether we should vote for a guy for MVP because, you know, a line drive double is a line drive double, and it's worth what it's worth regardless of whether he can do it again tomorrow. Okay, now Joe Paul, you said Miguel Cabrera to begin the season. Uh, Josh Hamilton is at the top of the uh, WAR charts. Uh, he's, you know, he's probably the odds-on favorite. You know, are, do you see an argument for Cabrera or anyone else besides Josh Hamilton? The only other guy I can really see an argument for, and I don't see nearly as mu- enough arguments being made for it, is Adrian Beltre. I mean, that guy has put together an amazing year uh, for the Red Sox, and it, you know they're kind of in bit closer contention than the Tigers. Uh, but if you wanted to go like the non-contender route uh, and you wanted to do, be the contrarian and not go with Hamilton uh, because he's out for September and you want to you know, arbitrarily dock him for that, uh, Beltre, I think, is the clear second choice. I don't think it's particularly close either. Yeah, but but you, you wouldn't go for Cabrera, though, even uh, based on what Morrissey says in your original predictions? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, Cabrera's put together quite the offensive year at the plate, uh, but... You know, we're going for the, the the most valuable player, this player that has provided the most value to his team, uh, and I know that leaves that leaves the the voting up to kind of subjective standards. Uh, but I think that a guy who's played an incredible third base, who has you know kind of carried his team at, uh, on offense like Beltre has, uh, has a bit more of a case uh, than than Cabrera would. Now, what do you uh, you know that thing that Adrian Beltre does where he hits a home run from his knee? <laughs> like, how many runs above replacement is that worth, in your opinion? Well, I mean, it doesn't get nearly enough play. Uh, we should be probably giving him a, a homer and a half for that. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that sounds fair. Maybe even more than that. Hey, Jackie Moore, I'm going to ask you who your favorite is, uh, maybe for the AL MVP in a second. But I want to ask you, like, uh, just looking at the war leaderboards here, I see someone like Carl Crawford, who's having. Um, I mean, he's having a good offensive season. There's no doubt about that. But I see some. But I see that like he's getting, for example, uh, 20 runs. Um, 
above average for his fielding as well. And I know, like last year, Ben Zobrist had uh, had uh, some crazy uh, runs above average for his fielding, and and of course uh, he was all over the diamond. When when we're evaluating, especially a one-year award like the MVP, to what degree do you think the defensive metrics ought to figure in? Well, that's a really good question. Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but you do have to take into account that I think we know more about the batting than we do about the fielding, because I mean our batting is measuring things that did actually happen, whereas uh, I think MGL has talked about UZR, how it's not exactly a descriptive stat. So I think, like, it's especially, definitely the tiebreaker for me would go to the guy with the higher batting metrics. Um, but, you, I mean, Crawford getting 20 rounds above average in fielding, that that's a number that makes sense to me. Like, if you look at him play, he's all over the place. He's clearly the best left fielder in the league. So, I mean, I think it's depends on the guy, too. Well, how did you feel about Zobris last year? I mean, is that someone to whom you would have given the MVP, or um, or were were the uh, was it, were his defensive runs just too high, maybe, for you to evaluate it as something like that it had definitely happened? I think Maurer's season was too good to give uh, Zobris the MVP. Okay, and so what about this year? Who are you, who are you thinking AL MVP? It's got to be Hamilton. Okay. Jackie, mean, his, Moore, Jackie Moore said it. it. I mean, that's what Jack Moore just said. That's right. <laughs> so, so it's definite. Okay, very well, good. If he's going to be the referee here, I guess uh, it's got to be Hamilton then. Yeah, well, right. That's what I'm saying. Hamilton's, Jack- Hamilton's offensive numbers are right in line with Cabrera's, and he plays a harder position, and he's better at it. That's it. That's it. All right, it's official. Okay. Uh, well, Joe Paul, uh, let's let's start with you for the round two then. NL MVP. Uh, you know, I'm looking at the war charts right now, but I'm curious as to what your uh, what your opinion is. I mean, it, it, it pretty much, I think, has to come down to Votto or, uh, or Zimmerman. And, uh, and if you want a, they're, they're pretty close in the war leaderboards. Uh, Zimmerman brings more of the value from defense, and Votto is obviously the superior offensive player. Uh, but I think, you know, when you consider everything, and if you want to use a tiebreaker, you know, the guy who's helping his team who's in the race, and considering the Reds, pretty improbable run this year. Uh, I, I'd cast the vote for Votto this year for MVP. Yeah, now, to what degree? Obviously... Um, probably there have been some uh, MVPs who were unfairly elected because their teams happened to make it to the playoffs. And then other cases where uh, certainly one or maybe more of those seasons that A-Rod had when he was with the Rangers, where he was pretty clearly the best player in the majors, or at least that's what my memory is telling me. And he did he received very little consideration because he was on a last-place team. Um, I mean, to what degree does the narrative of a team playing well affect your... Uh, willingness to give an MVP award to someone, um, to a, you know, to a player because he's on that team. It's, it seems like more of a tiebreaker. It's more of a you know this guy's good because of this and this guy's good because of that. And uh, you know it, it actually comes in the really uh, I think big play with Fado versus Zimmerman uh, because you know Fado is the superior offensive player. Zimmerman plays a tougher position and he plays it you know amazingly. So when you're, when you're looking at players who kind of uh, bring bring different things, different skills to the table, and different ways to, to bring value to the team, uh, when you have something like that, I think that's really the place where you want you can jump in and say, all right, well, you know, if we're stuck between Votto and Zimmerman and we really can't come to a consensus on it, uh, that that would be an adequate tiebreaker, I think, the uh, the contention issue. Okay, Cameron, is, does that appeal to you too? I mean, is, for you, is it between Zimmerman and Votto, and that's it? 
Uh, I would actually, and you know, this is obviously mostly a recent thing because it was crazy September. I would throw Troy Tulowitzki into the mix. I know his his wins above replacement are a little bit lower than the other two, but I think there is something to the argument of uh, consolidated value. I mean, his value is lower than those two because he spent a month on the disabled list. And you know, I mean, the point of wins above replacement is you know wins over the guy who you had to have replace you. But there is something to the fact that most teams have a better than replacement level guy that they can plug in. So the Rockies combination of Tolowitzki and Tolowitzki's replacements were probably better than just Tolowitzki's win of the replacement by himself. And so the fact that he's been a monster when he's been healthy, I think, vaults him into the category, even though his quantity of playing time might not be at the same level. And if he keeps hitting like he has been in September, I'd be tempted to give him the award. Well, that's another that's thing that, that you, you frequently hear is the fact that uh, September performance is uh, intentionally or unintentionally weighted more heavily when considering the MVP award. Uh, I, I mean, not even a month ago, the Rockies were 11 games out of first place. At, um, as of uh, our recording, I, I don't know exactly what the number is, but I'm guessing it's within three or something. Uh, does that, is that something that you weight more heavily as a September performance? Or do you think, just like with Josh Hamilton, well, he didn't need to have a great September performance because he helped his team uh, get to first place so quickly early on? Yeah, I wouldn't weight September performance much more heavily than any other month. I mean, if I was going to weight it more heavily, it would be in tiny fractions rather than in magnitudes of two or three like some sports writers do. I might give him a little bit of extra credit for the fact that he's literally carried his team back into the playoff race almost by himself. I mean, Carlos Gonzalez had a good month, but tolitsky has been ridiculous in September. And so um, overall, I would lean on the whole year's performance. Wins in April and May are just as important as wins in September. But the fact is that Tolowitzki's been so good when he's on the field the whole year, really, that he's put himself in the conversation even though he was hurt. Uh, Jackie Moore, uh, you've heard uh, here Joe, Joe Paul and Dave Cameron give an argument for three different guys, Zimmerman Votto. Uh, maybe Troy Tulowitzki because uh, his performance was consolidated. Actually, before I get to your your pick or you know sort of acting as referee, I know that we were on the emails the other day uh, and you G chatted me right up. And that's not a hip hop term, G chat. That's a Google chat. I mean, it's Google chat. You said uh, you know if if two guys had the same exact uh, war, uh, but one of them uh, had more and the other had fewer played appearances. You know, who would you be more likely to give to give the uh, thing to? And you said, and, and I said, you just broke my brain. But the answer you gave, and similar to the one Dave Cameron gave, was uh, that you'd give it to the guy with fewer plate appearances because, you know, theoretically the replacement, um, you know, would play something a little bit above uh, um, replacement level. Uh, you know, would you do you have anything to add to to that particular argument or to what Cameron just said about that? Oh uh, no, not really. That sounds. It sounds like you hit it right on the head. Or well, in this I, case, it I is... hit it on the head. I was talking <laughs> to you earlier. Oh yeah, you did. Yeah, but but in this case, who do you remember? Who his replacement was like? What, Clint Barmus or Daniel Ray Herrera or some? Well, uh, Barmus <laughs> was already playing. I think I think his replacement might be have to might have to be considered Eric Young Jr. because I think he's the one who's gotten the most playing time as a result. So Not in that case, it was sure. actually, uh, if I'm uh, remembering Eric Young Jr.'s stats correctly, it was probably a good thing um, because Eric Young Jr. Well, there's also sort of like secondary benefits too because you're, now you're giving playing time to a prospect as well. Right. Uh, well, Young didn't didn't play that well. He didn't he didn't have any power, and so that, especially considering that was in cores, that really uh, doesn't look that great. He had a 308 Woba. Okay, whatever. 
And uh, UZR didn't like his fielding over 150 plate appearances. That's pretty meaningless. Yeah, what do we, just from his reputation, what do we know about Eric Young at second base? Um, yeah, he should be good. He should be good? I think. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. Well, the expert has spoken. Now, in terms of uh, actual NL MVPs, what are you thinking here? Uh, we've, we've heard three names. Do you have any, uh, first of all, A, do you have any names to add to the mix? Uh, of course, the Padres have been a surprise, and uh, Adrian Gonzalez is kind of the face of that team. Uh, we've, we've talked about Vado, Zimmerman, and also Tulowitzki. Uh, Gonzalez has been good, but uh, you have to be really, really elite at first base to be in the conversation, and uh, he may have only been really elite. I don't think he's quite there. Um, I think it's criminal how little exposure Zimmerman has gotten this year. He's just having a, another ridiculous year, and there's no reason to believe that he might not be the best player in the league come two years later, like passing guys like Pujols, passing guys like Utley, who would probably be in the conversation if he hadn't gotten hurt. Um, yeah, I think it, I think it's a dead heat between Votto and Zimmerman. Although, as Dave says, Tulewski definitely has an argument, and if he does what he's done the last two weeks for the next two weeks, when we come back... When we come back to this argument, I would not be opposed to giving it to Tulowitzki. Okay, and uh, I mean, just that as Zimmerman and Votto, do you, you know, like what we were talking about with Joe Paul, do, does the sort of narrative of the player, um, you know, playing for a winning team, does that affect you at all? I think it's a good tiebreaker. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, that sounds good. Thank you for refereeing that uh, that particular thing. So with MVPs, uh, we're going with Hamilton, uh, with maybe a Beltre thrown in or a. Uh, very uh, uh, sort of a distant third might be uh, Miguel Cabrera. Um, uh, for the NL, well, we're thinking Zimmerman Votto. It sounds like it sounds like Votto as of now, um, and of course he's Italian, which I think we didn't even give him an extra couple points for that. So I'll probably write those in right here. Uh, let's go to the Cy Young. James Shields, Dave Cameron was your preseason pick for the AL. Doesn't look like that's going to pan out. Uh, what is going to happen? And why, why, why did James Shields uh, uh, climb to the top of the charts? Well, James Shields has actually had a pretty decent year when you look at everything besides home runs. He's just decided to turn into Brad Radke for whatever reason, and I guess maybe it's the throwing 87-mile-an-hour fastballs over the heart of the plate might lead to some home run problems and that I might not have anticipated. So uh, I'll take all the credit I get for Josh Hamilton and throw it out the window with my James Shields pick. Uh, I think in the AL Cy Young, obviously it's being treated as a huge litmus test for old school versus new school voters with uh, Felix Fernandez's better than everything at CC Sabathia except for winning games. Uh, and voters still like CC's win. So it'll be interesting to see how they vote. Uh, my guess is as of about a week ago, I thought Felix was the leader because I think there's a lot of voters who were coming around to wins being meaningless. But then uh, CC was awesome in his last start, and Felix had a pretty mediocre performance. So I think they've pulled pretty close, and uh, I think it'll be interesting to see down the, down the last few weeks. I think those two are the only guys who get serious contention. Well, serious yeah, okay, so a couple things. So I hear you citing uh, their most recent starts as something that's kind of playing in the mix here. Are you talking about your perceptions of them or the media's perceptions of them or both? Uh, both. Honestly, I, like, I don't think there's a huge difference between the two. Uh, I wouldn't uh, lobby super hard for either one, honestly. I think that the differences between them are pretty small. I think Felix has been maybe a little bit better, but not so dramatically so that I think it will be unfair if Sabathia gets it. Um, and I think it, the award probably will be decided down the stretch. 
Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, Joe Paul, you're obviously a Yankees fan. I don't know if that's going to affect you at all. But for you, is it between Felix and CeCe? Um, no. I, I wrote an argument. It was at the beginning of September. Basically said that, look, CeCe's been great. Uh, he's been exactly what the Yankees wanted, wanted him to be. He's, he's met expectations. He's not the Cy Young. Uh, he's not the best pitcher in the league this year. Uh, at the time, Cliff Lee was getting a lot of... Uh, Getting a lot of hype for it, but then he had the, the couple bad starts and the back injury, and I think that kind of took him out of the uh, out of the conversation for now. Uh, I I actually I, I'm surprised Dave, Dave, Dave didn't mention Francisco Lariano's case because he's definitely getting no play from the media. Uh, he's got the highest WAR for for AL pitchers. Uh, he's got the high, he's got the lowest FIP. He's got the lowest XFIP, and uh, you know he's been every he's been the reason he's been an enormous reason why the Twins are. Uh, are where they are right now. Uh, he's got a case for best. Uh, I picked John Lester, and I think he's in the top five as well. He's above, in my mind, he's you know above Sabathia in, in the voting. Uh, and I think a few bad starts and the Red Sox season in general is going to kind of kill his case with the media. Yeah, yeah. Now with Liriano, uh, Liriano is of course he's thrown fewer innings than both Felix Hernandez or CC Sabathia. Is is it the same or is it a different argument when you talk about replacements for starting pitchers? Uh, as you know, like uh, against like the Troy Tulowitzki situation where he missed a month, is it is it the same situation? We can assume the replacement is uh, you know is not necessarily replacement level. Uh, it's tough to say in that case. A, a lot of times with Liriano, it was kind of limiting the length of his starts rather than uh, skipping his starts. Uh, so when you look at replacement there, I think you're, you're looking more to the bullpen. Okay. Uh, and the twins, yeah, the twins have had a, a pretty good bullpen most of the year, and they've kept and they kept adding and adding and adding to it. But I, I think in Liriano's case, uh, it, it comes down to you know how well he is he is actually pitched, um, and you're looking at a guy too. Now remember this: this is this is I think a notch in his belt more than it takes away from him. He has a 342 Babbitt. Mm-hmm. That's a the pretty insanely high number, and yet he's still pulled down a pretty insane numbers. Uh, even if you take away the fielding independent, I mean he's got nine and a half strikeouts per for nine. Uh, he doesn't allow home runs. He just just doesn't, and uh, he's still got a three two eight ERA, uh, which is still way down there in the league. Uh, so I think you know all things considered, that's you know I think Liriano probably has the strongest non Felix case right now. Hey Cameron, why didn't you mention Francisco Liriano? What's up? Yeah, so I think the Liriano thing's interesting in that obviously we are big proponents of FIP and fielding independent metrics in general, and only crediting pitchers for what they're under control over. I wrote an article about this, uh, I don't know, a month or so ago, about it being unrealistic for us to believe that 100% of Liriano's batting average on balls in play this year is his fielder's fault or just bad luck. It's likely that some of that is Liriano's fault. Now, we can argue over what portion of the 342 bat if we want to hold against him, but it can't be zero. I mean, maybe it's 10, maybe it's 80. I don't know. It's somewhere in between those two numbers. Um, But at some point, we have to say that Liriano gave up some hits that were probably because of bad location, whether it's predictive or not, is a totally different argument than whether it has value to the team. And so when you look at the hits that Liriano's given up, I think some of them, not the entirety of his battle, but I think some of it has to be held against him and say that in terms of pitching better in 2010, he did give up more hits than we would have expected based on a guy with his stuff. And so to me, that knocks him down a few pegs. All right. Jackie Moore, will you just uh, step in here and provide some reason? <laughs> Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, I'd like to address the Cliff Lee situation. I don't think he should be falling out of the conversation at all. I mean, lest we forget, he has an 11 strikeout to walk ratio 
that's insane. It's completely insane. He he has the same ERA as uh, Liriano right now. Similar fielding independent numbers, and his season is pretty historic. I I still think he should be in the conversation, especially if he throws together two or three more good starts. His last start, eight innings, one earned. It was a little unlee in that he did walk three batters, but still, still a good start. Um, Liriano has definitely been fantastic. Uh, I think I think Target Field is a little bit of an interesting issue for him, though, because Target Field is gigantic, and I wonder how much that plays into both his home run rate and his batting average on balls in play, because I just wonder, are balls that would be home runs off him falling in for doubles? Well, wait, let's be careful about saying it's gigantic. I believe it actually has the same exact um, dimensions as uh, the Metrodome, doesn't it? It Well, it. I think it's playing bigger from what uh, from what I've seen so well, far this year. Could it be weather-related? Can anyone just jump Possibly. in? Does Cameron or Polakowski, do you know? Yeah, I, I don't know about the dimensions. I do know that it's uh, killing home runs. It's suppressing home runs about 20%, but offense as a whole is actually up a little bit, mainly because the Twins are having no problems hitting there. I think in large part that's due to the fact they have a bunch of ground ball hitters, so the, the dimensions don't really matter. So I think when you look at like the park factor for target field, it's a little bit misleading because it doesn't hurt the Twins hitters, but it kills opponents' hitters' ability to hit home runs. Okay. All right, go ahead, Jackie. Obviously, I think Felix has uh, had a better... You know, if you filter out the context, I think Felix has had a better year than CeCe. I think that's pretty clear just looking at their numbers. And I I would not want to see CeCe win the Cy Young. He just hasn't had that kind of year. Okay. There it is. That's uh, uh, AL Cy Young, now NL Cy Young. Joe Paul, you started off. Uh, I mean, Roy Halladay, I, I don't you know, we can argue about it as much as we want. Uh, we don't have the vote. Uh, and I know this, this is kind of a cop-out argument, but I don't see any way Roy Halladay doesn't win the award. Okay, he's, just because he's, he's Roy Halladay? He's, he's, well, that, that, that definitely helps his case. Uh, he's had an excellent year. He's got the, the fancy win stat. Uh, he doesn't walk guys. He's got a good strikeout rate. He's got good feeling independent numbers. He's got good, you know, he, his ERA is among the lowest in the league. He's gritty, uh, too. Isn't he gritty? Yeah, he's got that grit beard, man. You cannot argue with the grit beard. Yeah, once you get that grit into your beard, that's pretty good. Cameron, are you you see that is that grit in the beard helping you uh, to go Roy Halladay's way as well? Uh, it would not affect my vote at all. But uh, I do think Halladay will win. I do think that there might be some kind of argument for Ibaldo Jimenez if he pitches well down the stretch, simply because his numbers have come in Coors Field. And I know that we have a blanket park factor adjustment, and Jimenez is a ground ball guy, so it doesn't affect him as much. But it's a high run environment that Jimenez has pitched extremely well in. Uh, and so I think, you know, the innings thing is the big the big difference for Halliday. I think it's only like 40 more innings, and so that's going to tilt it in Halliday's favor. But on a just a rate basis, I think Jimenez has been every bit as good. Uh, the quantity would push it to Halliday right now. But, you know, if their starts are dramatically different down the stretch and Jimenez clearly outpitches Halliday, I think he could worm himself into the conversation. But right now, I think it's Roy Halliday. Well, so if the Rockies make the postseason, does that affect uh, does that affect your analysis of it, your reading of it? Not really. I mean, I think the Rockies will make the postseason based on whether they hit or not, and I don't think that has anything to do with Jimenez unless he personally hits like six or seven home runs. Um, does he? Do you see him hitting six or seven home runs himself? <laughs> it's unlikely. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, uh, Jackie Moore, uh, once again providing reason to this argument and um, giving us conclusive uh, conclusive decision. Uh, well, Roy Halladay probably going to 
probably going to get it and probably going to deserve it. But uh, a name that I'm pretty shocked didn't come up is Josh Johnson of the Marlins. I mean, I know he's done for the year now, but he if if he was making three more starts, I think I would put him as the front runner for my personal Cy Young vote because he has he has the best numbers, I think. I mean, he's 40 innings fewer than Halliday, and that's really the only thing that he's missing. He's striking out over a batter per inning. He's walking less than two and a half per nine. He's not giving up home runs. He's got a 2.3 ERA. Just everything is fantastic. Hey, Jackie, have you ever considered getting your head out of the spreadsheet and watch the game? Watch the games? I would love to watch watch Josh, Josh Johnson. He's great. Oh, yeah, he is great. Now, wait, I didn't hear anyone talk about... Um uh, Matt Latos. I mean, I'd just like to get everyone's opinion briefly. Joe Paul, Matt Latos, he's pitching on a Padres team that still has above a 50% chance of making the playoffs. No one expected that at the beginning of the season. He's easily been the best pitcher on the team. Oh, yeah, and uh, he's done a great job, even in Coors Field, which is, you know, is definitely helping him out a bit. Uh, but he's still striking Peco. out of guys. Peco, he limits you mean off. Peco, of course, yeah. What did I say? Pe- uh, of course, that's fine. That's the opposite, oh, though. Wow, yeah, <laughs> Gee, yeah, Petco, that's it. That's the ticket. Uh, you know, he's striking out a ton of guys. He, you know, he's got all the fielding independent numbers, which uh, kind of mitigates the the court, the, uh, the Petco Park uh, factor. He's also he and Halliday share a share a nice little common trait. Uh, they both strand runners at a pretty crazy rate. They're uh, they're right at the top of the league at over eighty two percent of batters, almost eighty three percent. They're uh, they're leaving on base. Uh, I'm not sure. You know, and this is kind of going back to what, what Dave said about uh, the luck issue. It's not necessarily luck. It's not necessarily repeatable either. Uh, but it's definitely a skill that, you know, when you do let guys on base, uh, that you bear down and, and leave them there. So that's, you know, Lato, La, La, or Latos. I don't know. Vin Scully sold, told me it was Latos, so I'm going to go with that. Uh, yeah, like a personal uh, conversation? Vin Scully talked to you? Oh, yeah, through, you know, through the TV. But, uh, that's good. You know, I, think, I have a similar uh, relationship with him. <laughs> uh, Dave Cameron, Matt, Matt Latos, uh, not a consideration for you? No, and it is Latos, by the way. Uh, but no, I think, like, Latos, and I would even throw Josh Johnson in there. I just don't see anything that you can do to make up the innings total that at the end of the year, um, they're going to have this huge gap of quantity behind Halliday and even Jimenez, and their performance on a rate basis is not going to be any better. So I don't think you can look at those guys and be like, oh, yeah, they should get votes over a guy who threw, you know, 60, 70, 80 innings more and was similarly effective in those extra innings. I mean, that's almost a half season of baseball at that point. And so um, I think Latos and Johnson have had really good years, but given that Halliday is pitching as well and Jimenez is pitching almost as well and they're both still pitching and have thrown significantly more innings, I don't think that uh, I don't think either of those guys deserve votes. Now, for you, does the innings, uh, you know, again, like going back to the Tulewitzki thing, where consolidating your value, does it work a little bit differently for pitchers? And um, does. That, does that affect your opinion of Liriano as well? It, 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 pitchers are a little bit of a different thing because, you know, in Tulewitzki's case, where he was on a disabled list, they were able to just shift Barmas over from second to short and kind of realign some things. Um, with a pitcher, it's a little bit different because the guys who are throwing more innings are taking innings away from probably the worst relievers on the team. When you pitch eight innings instead of six, you're skipping over that soft spot of most teams' bullpen where they're going to some, you know, middle in it, middle relief guy who probably doesn't have an out pitch or, you know, is not going to be one of those elite relievers. And you're handing over leads to your relief ace and giving your team a much higher chance of winning the game. So Although, when, you know, uh, but, but what about in the case of Latos, for example? I think the uh, Padres bullpen as a whole is like three standard deviations above the mean for other bullpens. 
uh, per XFIP. I mean, you know, they they have a situation where they could just bring up like Ryan Webb or Ernesto Frieri, and all of a sudden these guys are the best relief pitchers in the major leagues. Uh, I mean, is that is that something that's informed uh, the co- like you know the coaching staff's opinion? Do you think in taking Lados out because they know they can hand it over to an excellent bullpen? I mean, it's probably part of it, and you know they're also trying to limit his innings because he's a young kid. But at the same time, I think we have to look at that and say, okay, the fact that he's been able to come out after six innings and not had to go through the lineup the third time is probably one of the reasons his rate stats are better. He hasn't had to throw 110, 120 pitches. He hasn't had to pitch tired. He hasn't had to face a string of left-handers in a close game in the eighth inning because he's got Brad Lidge behind him. Uh, he's been comforted a little bit by having these really good relievers behind him, and I think he gets docked for that because his context has been easier to pitch in than a guy like Halliday's or Jimenez's. Okay, uh, before we enter our third hour on the pod here, let's uh, just, I want to get to the rookies quickly. I'm interested uh, from each uh, of you guys, uh, all three of you, maybe just your, uh, you know, your, your top picks, your, your top pick both for the AL and then the NL, and, uh, and then we'll, uh, you know, we'll kill this pod dead. So let's start with Dave Cameron, uh, your rookies of the year. Uh, I think Austin Jackson will win it in the American League and Jason Hayward will win it in the National League. I'd be tempted to vote for John Jaso in the American League. I think he's a little underheralded as a 390 on base percentage catcher who's hitting leadoff, which is hilarious for a catcher in a pennant race, especially a rookie catcher. Um, he had a really good year and filled a pretty big hole for a Rays team that is among the best in baseball. Uh, so I'd be tempted to give it to Jaso over Austin Jackson. In the National League, I think you have to give it to Jason Hayward. Uh, Buster Posey's had a nice year, but he has not had a Jason Hayward year. And the way he's finishing the year, he has gotten on base more time than he's made outs over the last month. has just been ridiculous. Yeah, that's actually kind of a ridiculous thing. Uh, Bonzi in there uh, in terms of on-base percentage. Joe Paul, uh, for you, your rookies of the year. Uh, Jason, is it Jason Hayward in the NL? Yeah, I, I don't see any reason to pick anyone else. Okay, and then AL, where, uh, where are you going? Um, I'll pick Jackson because he does, I mean, he's by far, he's way He's got way better numbers than, than than other rookies do in the AL. Uh, I do I do appreciate the Jaso case, and uh, I've seen him a bunch this year. Uh, the you know I I usually watch with my MLB TV package the Red Sox a lot, but it's been all raised this year. Uh, but I will note one thing with Jackson. Jackson has a four thir- four thirteen BABIP right now, and there's a good chance he'll finish the season with a BABIP above four uh, above four hundred. That would be the first time since that happened. The first time that happened uh, since two thousand. Two or three, I believe. Jose Hernandez uh, did it that year, and he was perhaps Jackson's best comparable player too, which does not bode well for Jackson. No, that's uh, damning. Not even with prey, it's faint insult. Damning was it's a sort of damning, is what it is, uh, precisely. And uh, Jackie Moore, I know with with Austin Jackson, you actually treated him with your four factors. Uh, in an article of uh, last month or two here, is he still your? Is he still the rookie of the year in the AL, even though he's got that inflated uh, batting average and ball in play? Well, the question really is who else, and I do think Jaso has a decent case. But um, I mean, as you talked about with the MVP, if you're not going to dock guys for Babbitts there, you're probably not going to dock him for Babbitts in the rookie of the year case either. And with that line, he's been quite good because I mean, not only is he getting a lot of hits. He's played a really, really good defensive center field. Okay, so is he your pick for center for uh, the AL then? Yep, and then uh, Jason Hayward for the for the NL. Posey had a case for a while, and then Hayward went bananas the last month. Okay, uh, Dave Cameron, you, you considered maybe briefly Carlos Santana, is that true? 
Yeah, well, I think Santana was so good for the brief period of time that he was up there, and that I don't think any of the other AL rookies have been so dram- dramatically better than what Santana was able to do in a short period of time that I think, you know, if I had a vote, I would put Santana second or third on my ballot just to, you know, say, hey, look, for the for a month, he was the best player in baseball or something close to it. Uh, you know, the fact that he got hurt obviously ruined his candidacy, but he was really good when he was on the field. Yeah, he he, uh, he was quite good. Okay, well, good. Uh, we are now to the end of the pod, and uh, to uh, for the benefit of our listeners, we'll close things up now, but of course not before saying goodbye to everyone uh, in their respective uh, locations, so we'll say goodbye to the man we said hello to first, Dave Cameron. Uh, go have fun. I understand uh, you have uh, your significant others participating in some sort of Iron Man situation, is that right? Uh, she's doing a triathlon tomorrow morning, and we have to, it's two and a half hours from our house, and she has to be there at 6.30, so I am really excited. You understand that a triathlon is actually considered a form of torture in most countries, right? Uh, yeah, that's why I'm not participating. Yeah, that's smart. That's a smart decision. That sounds terrible. It sounds so terrible. I will be either asleep or watching college football while that's going on. Uh, but thank you for joining us anyway, Dave Cameron. Joe Paul, um, thank you for behaving yourself and uh, not bringing out your slicing knife uh, on our full-time employee, Dave Cameron. I'll just have to uh, put it in the drawer and bring the stabbing knife next time. Okay, yeah, get that stabbing knife out, and we'll see what happens. I mean, that's kind of par for the course living in New York, although not since uh, what's his butt cleaned it up. Jackie Moore joining us from the, the beautiful... Hamlet, uh, the uh, autumnal-laden Hamlet of uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, yeah, it's been great. <laughs> I'm glad you think it's been great. Uh, okay, and uh, once again, uh, not for nothing, I am Carson Sestouli, and this has been another um, joy-filled edition of Fangraphs Audio. Audio.